Hello. Here I'm with Nick and Fiona. And that's a very powerful feeling. Without getting too mystical about it, <laughs> you can't deny that. Welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Bassine. Nick, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about the movie that's out in cinemas, At Eternity's Gate, starring Willem Dafoe, with whom you have a fantastic chat. Friend of the show, Willem Dafoe. He's yeah. our first returning guest. That's right. We've had him on before. We are also talking about Counterparts Season 2, that is returning to SBS, and we are talking about what we've been watching. But first, at Eternity's Gate. There's something inside me, I don't know what it is. What I see, nobody else sees. You're a stranger here. You drink too much. You're hysterical, out of control. I don't want to calm down. It's called the act of painting for a reason. Don't you see that this painting is unpleasant? The townspeople have signed a petition against you. They don't want you to come back. I can't stay here, Vincent. You're surrounded by stupid, wicked, ignorant people. So that's the reason why you cut off your hair. Your vision of the world is quite frightening, isn't it? Yes. Sometimes I feel so far away from everything. I think I'm losing my mind. Sometimes they say I'm mad, but a grain of madness is the best of art. So At Eternity's Gate, as we said, has a friend of the show, Willem Dafoe, starring as Vincent Van Gogh, who is at the latter stages of his career slash life, and it's a beautiful film. It's directed by Julian Schnabel, who you may know from Diving Bell and the Butterfly, Basquiat, Lots of portraits of artists, actually, and this one is no different. So uh, it, it looks at his time in regional France, the work he produces there, and his inability to connect with people, <laughs> people in general. You mentioned uh, his career, and it, it looks like he has none. Correct, yes. He's relying on his brother for rent, money, and... Um, he's eking out a living. Well, he's, he's... Yeah, not even. <laughs> he's pumping out the paintings, though. They're coming fast and furious, but he gets one good review... But he can't, otherwise he's, he doesn't have a whole lot going on. Yes, quite right. When I said career, he's the doing of the painting, not so much the selling of the painting. And the, the sketches are piling up and his contemporaries are successful. And the overwhelming message, and it, it is well expressed in the film, that he's a man out of his time and his time is yet to come. And he's very conscious of that. He's conscious of he may not experience anything even closely resembling success in his lifetime. And, of course, it deals with his mental health struggles because obviously everyone knows about the ear chopping uh, and that's dealt with, but it's not its not a traditional biopic by any means. No, it's, God, it's, no, yeah, not so, at all. I really appreciated how much it avoids all of those tropes. There's a lot. It's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. Because he, he talks a lot about how he sees the world and how the painter's role is to show the audience how the painter sees the world. And so... There's a lot of just shots of the sky and some of it's kind of blurry in a way, in a kind of an impressionistic way that he might have painted. And it's very nice to kind of be in it mm. and, and looking at the world through, I, I guess, what Schnabel imagines Van Gogh's eyes would have seen. Yeah. And here you can tell it's the same director as Diving Bell and the Butterfly from a few years ago, which was very much... POV, right? POV of a person who he's blinking of his eye was the only way to communicate with the world. And you would see through his blurry eye, and this is no different, someone who is disconnected from people with 
really kind of one means of communicating um, in this way that's through with paintings because he has no social skills. Um, it's, a, it's a tremendous tragedy. Yeah. And it's such a bummer <laughs> that someone who is such a huge deal, I guess the same could be said for people like Mozart and um, just amazing artists that, that weren't recognized. I was going through it and I was on board. I like Chernobyl movies. Mm. Um, I love The Diving Bell and The Butterfly. It's amazing. But I was with it. I was enjoying it. And then I won't spoil it or anything, but at the end, for me, there was this, there was a punch to the heart and I I broke down and uh, I haven't been able to stop thinking about the movie. I think it's, I think it's just tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. And so friend of the show, Willem Dafoe, is uh, nominated for an Oscar. We can't say enough how much of a friend of the show he is. (laughs) Well, that's why we keep mentioning it. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I don't think he he remembered me. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. (laughs) But that's okay. Yes, we spoke actually prior to the Oscar nominations being announced. Otherwise, yeah, I might have mentioned it in the chat. But he should win come Oscar Day. You think so? Are you? He should. I think he should. You're saying he should, as in it's a beautiful performance, and oh. but but it's also not showy. So they unshowy performances tend not to win Oscars. But it's good that he's nominated. But enough talking about him. Maybe we should talk to him. Yeah, let's hear it. Willem Dafoe, thank you so much for joining us on the playlist. And I've had a bit of a Willem week, I've got to say. I saw At Eternity's Gate on Monday and saw Aquaman last night. So <laughs> it's quite a big week of you oh, I'm wow. having talking to you today. <laughs> um, but, of course, we're here to talk about At Eternity's Gate. And congratulations on the film. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. No, no, thank, th- thank you. I'm curious. I mean, just off the bat, it's a very good likeness <laughs> that you um, you bear to the paintings, uh, at least. You know, I, I'm aware there's a, a bit of an age difference, but had anyone approached you to play him before, Vincent Van Gogh? Um, no, no. no. <laughs> and, you know, I never thought I looked like him. Uh, nobody really mentioned it. You know, I, I, I like to think it happened in the doing. Sure. It didn't really exist before that. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I guess a, a ginger beard and, and the hair helps too, doesn't it? Sure. So, so how did this one come about? How, how did you come to play him now? Well, I've known Julian for 30 years. I've been with him in the studio. He's painted uh, portraits of me. I've worked with him in small ways on uh, a couple of his movies. Um, he's a friend. And he wasn't even sure he wanted to make this movie, but he started working with Jean-Claude Carrier trying to make a script. And when they were working, he told me to look at some material, look at the letters, look at uh, some biographies and send him some notes. I sent him some notes, then a script came. He still didn't say that he wanted to do the movie yet. And then uh, he told me to come over, over to his house we live quite close to each other. Mm-hmm. And I went over and they put a silly fake beard on me and shot some pictures. And uh, I think that percolated with him, those images and then the script. And then about a week later, he said, let's do this thing. So it was like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it wasn't the usual uh, submission through agents and all that sort of thing. It was a very direct thing among friends. Right. So it was. It was. There was never a question of uh, me not doing it, to my mind. Sure. And you know, we all think we know the Vincent Van Gogh story of the ear, of course, and the, yeah. the posthumous fame. But very clearly, there was so much more that that we just don't know or didn't know. Did you know very much going in? 
I think I'm like most people, and you said it, I thought I knew more than I did, yeah. and then, of course, when I started research, I learned a lot more. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, I know Vincent van Gogh, I've inhabited him, I've played him, uh, but now I know Vincent van Gogh authority, necessarily. Mm -hmm. The important thing is that this movie wasn't a biopic, and mm -hmm. I can't stress that enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, the approaches have had so much to do with painting, and ways of seeing. And also, as whenever you play a famous historical character, on some level you have to forget about it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't think about Vincent van Gogh. You gotta think about this painter that I'm playing that does these things that happens to be called Vincent van Gogh. And that's yeah. sort of my approach. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, this is by no means a straight biopic. <laughs> and, you know, I think you can you can tell that it, I mean, it really does make a difference to have a painter tell the story of a painter. You know, you really do get Very more much. of a sense of that creative impulse or the drive, you know, the motivation. Um, you know, whereas there are a lot of films, they, like, certainly with, say, a writer, they're showing them at a typewriter or it, you never really quite get that get that sense. But here it's so, it's so real. And also the way the film contrasts between the conversations that you have, you know, quite often in drafty, um, echoey rooms um, compared to the long walks and the silence in the film. Um, can we talk about that and sort of um, how that helps the character as well? Sure. I mean, I think the, the reality and the root of the character is mostly those walks and the painting. That's who Vincent van Gogh is. And then he's interrupted by these social interactions. And they're usually quite awkward and they're quite direct. They don't really serve a narrative things in you know, they aren't pushing a narrative forward yep. they're really social interactions and him in a very sincere way just trying to deal with these people mm -hmm. but of course he one of his greatest challenges is to reconcile the kind of ecstasy and connection and vision that he has when he's out in nature and he's painting he's lost in painting he's not thinking to these social interactions where he can't quite figure out how to relate to people. Mm -hmm. He wants to share, he wants to be with people, he wants to contribute, he wants to have a good relationship with people, but you see him over and over sort of struggle with knowing how to relate these feelings he has privately to people socially. Yeah, the, the social cues are not great, are they? And that scene, I want to talk about that scene with Matt Mickelson where, you know, that things, you really do get a sense that he's an artist ahead of his time and unable to <laughs> really yeah. connect. Can we talk that through and sort of um, what that says about him and, and the times in which he lived and art appreciation? Well, you know, that's, some of that scene comes from his letters, some of it's invented. Mm -hmm. And this, this notion of, you know, the people that, can really see my paintings haven't been born yet. That mm -hmm. That is, I think, an invented phrase. Yeah. But he, he was very aware that, you know, he, he said that, you know, be careful what you ridicule because 10 years down the line, it may be what everybody's revering. So he was very conscious of how things come in and out of favor. And I think, just judging from his letters, he was frustrated by his inability to, you know, have any interest, have anyone really interested in his paintings other than his brother's brother and a few close friends. But that really wasn't the emphasis of what I was thinking about so much when I was 
trying to inhabit him. I was thinking more about the painting and more about sort of the positive aspects where he was making a connection, not where he wasn't. Yeah, for sure. I also want to talk about the locations here, and and I believe you did shoot on the actual locations. Yeah, can we talk about that and how that informed it? Sure. I mean, one practical way is sometimes you could actually... You know, the landscape hasn't changed that much in some of those areas. Certain areas of all, of course, have changed. The Yellow House, for example, doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. But you know where it was. Some of the buildings do exist. But as far as the nature, because it's still agricultural area and some of it's protected, it's it's not like there's a McDonald's where he used to uh, paint a field. Those fields still exist. So... There's a beauty of being in the places he was and basically taking his, you know, literally his point of view and seeing the trees that he saw, seeing the rocks that he saw, seeing the sky he saw. And as you're painting, particularly, you feel like you're somewhat in conversation with the things that he was in conversation with. And that's a very powerful feeling without getting too mystical about it. Mm -hmm. You can't deny that. You could never ever get that same feeling from painting on uh, some place that wasn't the actual locations that he was painting. Yeah, for sure, much less in a studio. Yes, well, look, I'd love to ask you, we, are, we like to finish our interviews asking our guests what they've been watching lately. Um, what, what's caught your eye of late? Oh, God, that's tough because <laughs> I've been working. Yeah. I, 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 I've got a non-answer. I've been working so... When I tend to work, and it's a movie that I work every day, Mm. I've got a lot of catching up to do in my holiday hiatus just to see the movies that are out now. Mm -hmm. Things that I really want to see, like Roma, for example. Uh, I haven't seen that yet. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a hard and fast rule, but when you're working every day uh, and you're flirting with uh, a character, when you're trying to make a character, when you're trying to inhabit a world, particularly if it's a period world, as I'm doing right now, you know, it's I'm not going to go home and uh, watch a movie and then go to sleep and have that movie enter my dreams. I prefer the world that I'm working in in the day to enter my dreams. So yeah, no, <laughs> it's that... not a hard, fast rule, but I... I, I, I I have less appetite for movies when I'm working, I must say. Sure. No, that makes perfect sense. And I would expect nothing less from you. <laughs> well, look, thank you so much. <laughs> um, thank you so All much. Right, it's a real sure. treat to talk to you again. Thanks a lot. And congratulations on the film, Great. truly. Thank you. All the best. All right. Thanks so much. So, of course, Willem Dafoe's watching nothing. <laughs> Just trying to stay well, he's in the zone. gone method shooting his movie. Yes. And At Eternity's Gate is now showing in cinemas and clearly both of us very much endorse the film. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He's great in it. So now we turn to TV. Counterpart, the J.K. Simmons... And him too. And J.K. Simmons vehicle uh, is coming back to SBS. You might remember we recapped the uh, Series 1 in playlist episodes of Days of Yore. Oh, my God. Who could forget? <laughs> there was a rousing, um, rousing discussion about the show. We're going to be a little bit more abbreviated, I think, uh, <laughs> in discussing Season 2. Um, so I've watched the first episode of Season 2, and we're kind of picking up where we left off in Season 1. I don't want to spoil Season 1 for anybody because it's still available to watch at SBS On Demand to binge 
Well, sorry, long-time listeners of the show, we spoiled that a long time ago. But, oh, yeah, if yeah, you're new to the show, yeah, absolutely yeah. stream it, uh, catch up at SBS On Demand. Because this show is fantastic, but it's also a little dense in that you, a lot going you probably on. can't just pick up at the start of Season 2, Episode 1 and be fine. <laughs> there is yeah. a lot of detail and complexity that it does assume you've seen the first one, so it would benefit you yeah. to have seen it. There's a few things happening. I mean, the basic premise is that there are these two... Um, different universes where everyone has a doppelganger, has a, the same person, and J.K. Simmons plays Howard Silk, who meets his doppelganger, who happens to be a much more aggressive, um, get-things-done sort of person. <laughs> and one side believes the other side spread this flu to intentionally wipe out a whole bunch of the population, and now there's retaliations. And so we're picking it up where diplomacy has kind of fallen apart. There was a big assassination in the yes. finale. Uh, big assassination. Yeah, a lot of people getting shot. Yes. And um, and they've closed down the uh, tunnel between the two That's right. Worlds. So they're not talking anymore, theoretically. And, and the Howards are stuck in the opposite worlds. Yeah. So what is going to happen? I don't know. Only watch one episode. <laughs> Same. But um, Howard's wife, who has been in a coma, Emily, played by Olivia Williams, she's back. So that's kind of interesting, watching her come back into the world and they're trying to um, start over, start the relationship over. That's but kind of she it. also doesn't know it's a different Howard. Yeah. <laughs> so they are starting a relationship afresh. Yes. Um, there's also Claire, played by Nazanin Boniadi. She is, she's a mole. She's uh, Peter Quill's wife. The government is getting closer to finding her out and that's all um, very precarious. Intrigue aplenty. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this show does not spoon feed information to you. It does expect you to keep up, and that's great. It's also a little frustrating, but it does keep you on your toes, not one to second screen. There is a new character introduced, played by Betty Gabriel. Fans of the movie Get Out would remember her as the... Oh, that's right. Housemaid. I recognised her, and I was wondering yeah. where I knew her from. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's really good. Mm. Incredible character face, you know what I mean? Like just that those beautiful expressive eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if you're wondering where where have I seen that yeah, lady before? That's right. Get she out. was great in Get Out. Get out. So that's counterpart season two. It starts Thursday night, February twenty second. Catch up is available at on demand. And again, you can if you haven't been watching, you can watch all of season one at um, SBS on demand before starting season two. Now we come to the part of the show where we talk about what we've been watching. Fiona, what have you been watching? Uh, well, as we record, I've not watched any movies or TV shows of late, but... You've been busy. I have been a little busy. I was on the Gold Coast for the Eurovision Australia Decides events <laughs> and rehearsals. Uh, so I've been watching Kate Miller-Hardke perform and Shepard and Alfie and all of our 10 contenders... Um, and went to the live event at Queensland's Gold Coast. And apparently a lot of you are watching it as well. It was um, quite the show. And, of course, Kate Miller-Heidke is now going to be Australia's representative at the Eurovision Song Contest in May in Tel Aviv. So you watched her perform? Yeah, absolutely. How did you like it? Hell of a show. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, the staging was quite magnificent. But everyone was great. Everyone, I was struck by how... I've never been to the big Eurovision, but uh, it to me it played out like I would expect Eurovision to have gone. It, it, yeah, the staging was fantastic, and all of the it's almost like two really Eurovisions for the price of one. The viewers, sure, <laughs> <laughs> if you like. Maybe that'll be our tagline. Not sure, <laughs> work in progress. But uh, yeah, no, it was 
hell of a time. And I think I've expressed before I'm a bit of a Eurovision nut, so it's a little bit exciting. As well. What are Australia's odds for winning now? Do we know? Do we know the field? Which is, Not the entire field. Against? Some uh, on the same weekend, Britain chose their entrance. They also did a national selection show. Did you see They're that? Jack, up. Did Jack White write a song? He was belatedly credited for the winning song last year, the oh, Meta Toy. Yeah, okay. that's the recent story. No, he's he's suddenly become a Eurovision winner because he's I see, now I see. Okay. partly credited for that toy. Got it. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, now the race is on till May when the big Eurovision Song Contest gets underway. I'm here for it. Very exciting. So aside from the winner, who did you, did you see anybody that you really liked? Yes, I thought Electric Fields was in with a good shot as well. And as it turns out, they, they actually did come second with their song 2000 and whatever. That was a great song and well-performed as well. And it really went off in the room. And I, I would imagine as well on the uh, television. Uh, Do you know if that... Will it get a release and will be... Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. And it's already oh. selling in Sweden. Like, a, oh, a lot wow. of the songs are singles now and they've really... Oh, fantastic. These artists are, you know, they may not have won this particular show, but it's really helped launch their careers internationally. Yeah, so nice. I think everyone's done well out of it. It's, it was great. And for a field of 10 and all of them, the acts were... To see them perform live as well, a lot of people might have had opinions on the songs themselves, but actually then to see how they were realised on stage as performances was something else. Fantastic. And you can actually watch the full broadcast of Eurovision Australia Decides. You can catch up at SBS On Demand. So go do that. So, Nick, what have you been watching? So I um, caught a couple of films, a couple of talkies. If Beale Street Could Talk, Uh, which is Barry Jenkins' follow-up to Moonlight. So it's set in the 70s in Harlem, New York. A woman is having a baby with a man who is in prison for something that he didn't do. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's a lot of family um, stuff going on, and they're also um, trying to get him exonerated, and it's very difficult. Regina King... Is in it. She's very good. She was nominated for uh, for an Oscar. Supporting actress. Yep. Yep. She won the Golden Globe as well. So she's potentially the hot favorite. Oh yeah. So she's got a lot of um, momentum. <laughs> Buzz. <laughs> I liked it. I thought. I think it's. I mean, it's really good. It's really well done. I think maybe there is a little bit of uh, high expectations after Moonlight, which was mm-hmm. um, it was the Best Picture winner. Not that eventually that needs to. Yeah, that's right. Not that that needs to mean anything, but... Oh, well, that leads to a certain expectation. I think so. I think so. And so I I had a little bit of an expectation of something just as groundbreaking and and, Mm. and wonderful, but I think it's really well done. It's very lyrical and... There's lots of, you know, long, languorous shots of people smoking cigarettes and um, close-ups on people's faces for long periods of time, which is all, all nice. It didn't carry me away necessarily, but mm. but I think it's I think it's really good. It's based on a James Baldwin book. Mm. There's one moment that I don't think plays like like it's meant to play that uh, features a little bit of uh, domestic violence, oh. which may have been very different uh, many decades ago when when it was written. But it, here it kind of stands out and it's really uncomfortable. But we're supposed to just kind of move on. But it's <laughs> it's a weird. Yeah, it's a strange little moment that felt like a kind of took me out of things. But okay, but yeah, but it's good. Yeah, no, I've not seen it. Unfortunately, I couldn't get to any of the screenings. But it, that's out. This it's week. out this week, right? Yes, it's in, okay. it's in cinemas now. Okay. Um, and you said two. What, what was the other one you've watched? Um, Alita, 
Battle, Battle Angel. Angel. So, so this is a Robert Rodriguez movie. Huh. Who knew? <laughs> um, it's a young adult story set in a post-apocalyptic future, of course, about a, um, a female cyborg who is reactivated, uh, and um, well, she discovers uh, that she's more human than um, maybe anyone anticipated. I, I have gone on record saying I do not like these kinds of movies, and I'm not even sure why I went to see it. Mm. Because like Ready Player One, oh yes, what's that one you saw that I knew was going to be trouble? Uh, that. Peter Jackson uh, produced one. Oh, model engines. Yeah, same kind of stuff. I can't stand these movies. Also, there's a real video game element because you watch her kicking a lot of butt, which it it looks pretty good. But when they zoom in on her face and show her laughing and and it's It's very- It's better than zooming in on something else like a lot of other movies do. Oh, well, no. Yeah, that's not this kind of movie. The effects are very unsettling and- um, yeah, it was upsetting how, how they made her smile, and it, it just looked really weird. Is it the dead eye, Polar Express kind of? Yeah, 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 a little bit. So, I mean, if young adult romantic um, stuff is, if you're into that kind of thing in the post-apocalyptic future, this might be your bag, but other, but I think it stinks. Okay. It is stinking up theaters currently. <laughs> well... That's all the time we have for our show. Make sure you get onto wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe and leave us a rating. It's how people find the show. Say lots of nice things. If you want to get in touch, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at SBS Movies. I'm on Twitter at Nick Bassine. I'm on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. The playlist is produced by Jeremy Wilmot. And And he he also does the audio and mixing. That's right. He does it all. Remember. Until we find someone better. (laughs) Jeremy's not marked up at present. (laughs) He's crying in the corner. (laughs) Um, Until next week. Thanks for listening. 